situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb pro armor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. Wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about the state of the world of sports. And if you think about it, I mean, a lot of it is driven by the media and by social media and by uh, fans and people associated with sports being able to interact with the game. And I think you can make a case that that makes for a better fan experience. But I want to look at it from the perspective of the sport and being able to honor the best team in a given sport. Because as we've watched, we've seen football go a long way when it's come from dominant teams to the parity that we see in the game today. And that's what makes the success of the New England Patriots so impressive. Really, if you look at it, the Patriots' dominance and their winning six Super Bowls and getting the nine Super Bowls in a 20-year period with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is something that we may never see in a world of sports again. And if you look at the Golden State Warriors with Steve Kerr and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green winning four NBA championships in a rather short period of time, less than a decade, right? And you look at other sports and you're just, you, you see that there's a model set for getting in there and having a chance. You saw that in baseball with the Phillies making it to the World Series as a third wildcard team. And listen, they earned their spot in the playoffs according to the rules of the game. But going back to the 1980s, there were really good teams, including the Phillies a couple of years. They missed out on the playoffs where if there was an expanded wildcard format, there would be more teams in. And you know maybe the World Series champion of those times would be a little more random. And my take has always been about you want to reward the best team in a given sport. And to have an expanded playoff format is basically taking the regular season and throwing it right in the trash. And that's what's happened in the sports of basketball and hockey. When it comes playoff time, there's a different type of intensity. And we try to, we try to mask it by saying, oh, the stakes are raised because it's the playoffs. But the reality is the regular season doesn't mean a damn thing. And if you're the NBA and you're Adam Silver as the commissioner, you're trying to bring a, an in-season tournament to try to bring some more importance to the regular season, the players, the teams, the owners, the general managers are basically throwing the importance of the NBA regular season right in your face. Load management, we don't need to play players. Steve Kerr saying you could do with 10 less games or so than you have over the course of the regular season. The regular season is not meaning much of anything. And baseball and football, respectively, over the past handful of seasons, with the NFL adding a team to each conference going to the playoffs, and baseball going from, at one point, it was just the American and National League champions playing in a World Series to four divisions, so two division winners play in a league championship series to a wild card format with three divisions and one wild card to two wild cards to three wild cards. We're rewarding more teams for mediocrity. 
And I've had a little bit of an issue with it because I think it kind of goes along with the American model. The American model is reward people for playing. And while that could work when it comes to kids, because kids just want to go out there and have fun. Their parents are paying their way so they can enjoy themselves in a given sport. So when you're talking about six to eight-year-olds or even up to the age of 10 to 12, and maybe leagues that aren't intended to be so competitive. You know, maybe it's not travel ball yet. Maybe it's not um, high school and college where they're going to be judged over whether they're going to have a chance to play professionally. If that's not the case, then I understand giving participation trophies out to everybody. You, you want kids to feel good. You want to encourage them to go out there and play sports. But when it comes to those that are getting compensated for their ability to play a sport, I, I don't believe you should reward mediocrity. There should be something put into maybe incentivize winning the entire league. Best record in the league should give you an easier path to play for the entire championship. If you have the one seed in the NBA, maybe maybe you should be waiting in the conference finals already. You know, having a best record in the National or American League, maybe you're automatically in the, the league championship series. But we don't want to see it that way. We want to reward more teams for mediocrity, more teams for being around 500, more teams for taking the regular season and saying it doesn't mean anything. And if you're looking at load management and if you think that's an issue in the NBA, look at the, look at the National Hockey League. You got players, there's there something like 100, some well over 100 players played in every game during the National Hockey League season. So what makes that any different? So from a player standpoint, the players still have that same type of intensity that they bring for 82 regular season games and on to the playoffs. And you find after certain seasons are over, these players are having uh, neck surgery, they're having back surgery, they're having all types of you know amputations and reattachments to different parts of their body. And we understand that the hockey player is a different type of animal, right? But going down to my point, that you're looking at the importance of playoff hockey. Because, first of all, most of the, the, the non-diehard fans, and I hate that term, diehard, because everybody claims to be one, but the majority of fans out there that are gravitating towards the sport, are getting more excited about the playoffs because it's a different type of hockey. It's a different type of game. And based off of the results, if you follow the last decade or two, you know there really is no difference in regards to the seed. The team that goes out there and has a an all-time regular season is not given any more advantage for or reward for what they've done in a regular season. And like I said, I go back to baseball prior to 1969, when it was just one team that finished in first place in the American League playing, one team that finished first place in the National League. And that was it. You know, if you won 100 games but finished second, you didn't have a chance to play for the World Series. Now, I wouldn't want to go that extreme, but I think there should be something out there, and a few people are talking about it, maybe because nobody gives a shit, maybe because it's not that important to the grand scheme of people out there. Most people may not care. They want their favorite team to have a better chance to get to the postseason. 
And they don't care if they win the whole thing. They don't care if they have the best record in a given league. Well, what's the purpose of having a regular season? That's my major point, number one. Number two, the Pittsburgh Pirates made a decision to extend their manager, Derek Schultz. And the reason that I bring this up, uh, first of all, I'm very happy with the job that Ben Sherrington has done. He's a great baseball executive. And I had a feeling he was going to be able to get the Pirates in the right direction. They're getting a little bit, maybe a, a lot of pub early on this season. Maybe they're that surprising team that all of a sudden has put things together. And maybe their rebuild is moving a little bit better than anticipated. Especially with the injury to O'Neill Cruz. You know, one of their star players, one of the more dynamic. And uh, I mean, to me, potentially polarizing players in the game. You know, he's, he's got some things that you like about him, some things you don't like about him. He's obviously got a cannon for an arm and can be able to hit a ball a mile. He's not in the mix with them. You know, you look at Brian Reynolds, you look at some of the pitching that they've had there, Bednar is the closer, and maybe they've overachieved. But I, I always believed when it comes to a team in a rebuild, it's a good opportunity for a young manager to get a chance to kind of get some games under their belt. But it's, it's a really tough situation. And as a person that is in favor of the baseball manager, because he, I know that he has basically been castrated from any, any impact that he had on the game before in yesteryear, I'm happy to see somebody like Derek Shelton get an extension and maybe get the endorsement to be around for the Pittsburgh Pirates for a little while. I compare it to something that happened a while ago that really bothered me. When it came to the Houston Astros and that lengthy rebuild, and you know, to say that that rebuild was worth it, I think I think you would say it at this point. Six straight League Championship Series appearances, two World Series. They've been what to to two other World Series. It's been a hell of a run. May have been worth basically giving up for a good series of five years, but within that was the change to a major league manager, and that was Bo Porter who got the job after. Um, I'm having a hard time even remembering who was there before. But, you know, they were in in the beginning of a rebuild. You knew the team was going to suck. They didn't have any talent. All their talent was either in the minor leagues or uh, waiting to be drafted, right, by Jeff Luton now. And <clears throat> Bo Porter was still let go while the team wasn't doing any good. And <clears throat> if you're a manager at that point, how do you get to prove yourself? The players want to play for you. Well, in most cases, they probably do. Bo Porter's a very good interpersonal in regards to his personality. I think he coaches well. I think players can relate to him. So outside of that record, which was shitty, we understand that. Bo would admit it. Anybody in the Astros organization, the Astros fans, anybody that followed baseball at that time would have understood it. But you also understood where it came from. The team is not trying from an organizational standpoint. They're not bringing in veteran players. They're bringing in basically players that they're not looking to pay. They're looking to fill roster spots. So that's why I'm on board with Derek Shelton getting an extension. And I'm happy that the Pirates are off to a good start. I'm happy to see Brandon Hyde with the Baltimore Orioles doing a good, uh, or getting some respect. Um, and now... It's time to see if these young rebuilds are going to produce fruit. Last thing, thinking basketball. You know, the Lakers 
got a commanding 3-1 lead in their series. The Knicks got a commanding 3-1 lead in, in their series. I'm, I'm thinking about the the villain element of the NBA because I think whether it's a um, somebody like a Patrick Beverly, uh, perhaps a Grayson Allen, if you watch him play for the Milwaukee Bucks, you know there there's that that thought that these players are kind of throwback type of players. Of course, Dylan Brooks, who we could talk about with the Memphis Grizzlies, the the throwback player to the '80s, the guy that's not going to score that much. He's going to impact the game by being kind of an enforcer, being kind of a pain in the ass, um, making comments, getting under the skin of opposition. Is that part of the NBA today? Could be. Now, Dylan Brooks kind of believes it. He believes that his, um, you know, shit talking, right, and his, uh, you know, maybe riling up other players on other teams are helping the Memphis Grizzlies in any way. That's a question I throw out to you. You know, if you're listening right now, what is your take on that? Do you believe that um, the NBA kind of needs an enforcer for each team, somebody to that isn't necessarily going to go out there and score points? You know, may get some rebounds, may dish out a couple assists, may play some good defense, but the majority of their responsibility is set under getting under the skin of the opposition. So today, as we move into the twenty, what are we? The twenty fourth day of April, twenty twenty three. Today's edition of Saving Sports History. We're starting out in the year of eighteen ninety four, where Lave Cross of the Philadelphia Phillies hit for the cycle one of the more um, impressive seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. The amount of stolen bases, the amount of runs scored in that given year. It's really something worth looking at. I've done some research on it. I've done segments of the show. I even have some literature out there on my JohnPielli.com blog. But, you know, the Phillies of that, of that year had three players in their outfield that all hit over 400. And Sam Thompson, Ed Delahanty, and Billy Hamilton. All three are in baseball's Hall of Fame. In fact, they had a fourth player that got into, I think, 90-something games that hit over 400 himself, was an outfielder by the name of Tuck Tainer. Uh, Leif Cross was great that season. I think he hit like 390, if I'm not mistaken. 19-1, first American League game between Chicago and Cleveland. The White Stockings beat the Blues by the final of 8-2. All the other games on the American League slate were rained out that day. 1945, a great, or may I say happy day in the history of Major League Baseball. Happy Chandler became the commissioner of Major League Baseball, replacing the deceased Kennesaw Mountain Landis. And Kennesaw Mountain Landis, whatever good you could say he brought to a sport, he brought the sport down in an equal amount of time. He said literally that blacks were going to play in the same field as whites in Major League Baseball over his dead body, and he meant it literally. So... If it wasn't for the death of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, Happy Chandler wouldn't have become commissioner, and Jackie Robinson and the rest of baseball history would not have been what it is. 1946, America, uh, Major League Baseball announced 11 new Hall of Famers, including the disputed uh, Tinker to Evers to Chance combination, the shortstop second baseman and first baseman known mostly for a poem, um, each individually were probably not Hall of Famers. Frank Chance probably had the best career as far as an all-around player. 
but they get a lot of notoriety and recognition because of the poem, and that's part of the reason why they're in baseball's watered-down version of its Hall of Fame. And if you think about some of the issues with the Hall of Fame now, not honoring the greatest players, you know, the greatest home run hitter, the greatest most amount of hits, most Cy Youngs, all this other bullshit, you want to put in marginal players as opposed to great players, it, it started years ago with guys like Tinkers and Evers and Chance and Rabbit Marinville and other players that were good but were popular amongst the media and the baseball writers and may not have necessarily represented what is the greatest of baseball of all time. That being said, uh, amongst the 11 players that were inducted were Jesse Burkett, who was one of the best offensive outfielders of the 19th century, uh, Joe McCarthy, the longtime Yankees manager, seven World Series championships. And then pitchers, Rube Waddell, Eddie Plank, Jack Walsh, Jack Chesborough, Clark Griffith, who of course later became, was also the owner, and Joe McGinnity. So really good pitching got inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1946 as well. 1963, Bob Cousy played in his last game and ended his legendary career. To me, he's still one of the top 30 or 40 players to ever play um, in basketball history. The Celtics won their fifth straight championship in what was Cousy's last game on this day in 1963. 1967, the Philadelphia 76ers won the NBA championship, winning four games to two over the Warriors. 1988, the NFL Draft, the Atlanta Falcons took Andre Bruce, a tight end that never really amounted to very much. 1994, David Robinson scored the seventh highest points in the history of an NBA game when he rocked 71 for the San Antonio Spurs. 1994, the Cincinnati Bengals took Dan Wilkinson, a defensive tackle, with the number one overall pick on this day. Ten years later, the San Diego Chargers selected a quarterback out of um, Ole Miss by the name of Eli Manning. Of course, you know, they'd flip him for who would become the number three pick in Phillip Rivers, and the rest was history. Manning with the Giants, Rivers with the Chargers, and births on his day. Andy Cooper, Baseball Hall of Fame Negro League star, was born on this day in 1987. Shortstop, one of the greatest of all time defensively. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's right on the borderline. Of course, people are going to factor in personal issues and domestic violence, but I, I judge just by the stats. The player is the player. The person is the person. Omar Vizquel was born on his day in 1967. Chipper Jones, baseball Hall of Famer, born on his day in 1972. Uh, longtime professional golfer uh, and champion Lee Westwood was born on this day in 1973. And, of course, future baseball Hall of Famer, Outfielder Carlos Beltran was born on the 24th of April, 1977. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my app mouth, you could check out the podcast. Past Ball Show is available on Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? 
I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. And they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.